0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, you'll find me and uh, my colleague Andrew giving you uh, 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on matters of the moment around the hotel investment space. I'm Chris Brown, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. I'm going to start this week with the vexed question of... Are we heading towards a recession or not? Uh, Andrew has been along to a couple of events in London recently to uh, feel the seaweed, listen to what's being said. He went to the UK Hospitality Annual Conference and also the CMS Hospitality Conference uh, both held recently in London and uh, um, well I mean I'm 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 sitting here reading some very positive noises from uh, a lot of hotel industry operating ceos uh what was the more broad view from these uh the speakers the participants at these two events andrew
1: Firstly, when you feel seaweed what what, what are you actually feeling are you is it, if it's a bit slimy it means it's going to rain is that uh, it's so? probably about as effective as
0: putting one of those little fishes on your on the palm of your hand that you get in a, a christmas cracker
1: yeah yeah i don't know or as effective as the average econ- economic forecast <laughs> yeah so, um yeah and anyway, hey, hey. <laughs> on that note off you go <laughs> oh, no, so, yes um so yes, what did they so, say <laughs> what did they say indeed um uh well at the uk hospitality conference um luke johnson the veteran investor um hospitality investor probably best known for his pizza express investment but he's uh done all sorts since um uh, Patisserie Valerie and a bunch of others. Anyway, he said, and I quote, we are heading into the worst recession of my adult life um who, uh that that isn't good i would suggest now mm. he was an outlier on the pessimism front right but you know when you have someone as senior as him and as you know as seen as much as he has saying that you know it, it's tempting at one level to sort of um point out that he does have a few business interests that uh um would mean that it would suit him if it were a really bad recession <laughs> um right, okay. but uh yeah that that's probably a bit below the belt frankly and you i think he genuinely does think this is a really tough time we've got coming um and a lot of the speakers at the event were saying similar things so um they had a panel on on various suppliers uh, there, so you had uh, Andrew Selly, who is uh, uh, UK chief executive of food service supplier Bidcorp, and he said, you know, there were sort of inflationary pressures all over the show. Um, but he was seeing in his business drivers and night shift workers at warehouses particularly problematic in terms of having to both hire them and pay them more money. Um, fuel, he said, was 70% higher than it was 18 months ago. Uh, Looking across um, to the Food and Drink Federation, Karen Betts, the chief executive, said uh, it was the worst inflation uh, for 40 odd years. Stephen Cassidy uh, from Hilton, SVP UK and Ireland at Hilton, um, said it was the most challenging, challenging environment of his career. Um, mm. in terms of the tight labor market that was being produced so we, we've got this this overarching sort of a theme of negativity I would suggest that's that's really sort of taking hold at the moment and of course a lot of this stuff is is um, it builds on itself, you know. If if you mm. start becoming negative, that leads to negative outcomes because businesses start thinking, "Oh, well, if everybody thinks it's going to be tough, we'll cut back on that investment," and you know you get a spiral down as as a result yeah. of that. But uh, so far, um, and I would contrast now, uh, Reese Herbert who is um, senior economist at Lloyd's Bank. He spoke at the CMS Hospitality Conference a couple of days after the UK hospitality one and he was much more optimistic, um, suggesting actually we're probably going to um, see inflation start falling. It's maybe even peaked now and it he thinks it's going to be lower um, faster than the Bank of England's. So Bank of England sort of suggesting it's going to be mid 2024 before it drops down to its target of 2%. He thinks it's going to hit 2% inflation um, by the end of next year, which is pretty pretty darn good news and if we start seeing significant drop-offs in inflation towards the end of this year as is sort of built into his um projections what did he call them um scenarios i think um was his favorite term i'm not quite sure what how a scenario is different to a uh, (laughs) forecast but that that seems to be the buzzword i mean we had lots of scenarios during covid which turned out to be codswallop actually um and uh, um i wonder how many of these current economic ones will will be the same um my own sense and like you chris talking to people you know it's just not here on the ground yet that Mm. that things are really genuinely that grim and certainly what we're seeing in terms of the numbers is consistently um surprises on the upside Mm. um we're, we're not seeing this negativity come through now i i think over the next sort of six to nine months it is going to be a tough time that seems to be the the period everyone's saying so it's going to be difficult so you know it won't be until sort of Easter 2023 before we it's very clear where we're heading and hopefully by then it is we're, we're in a period of much lower inflation interest rates won't have shot up as much as everybody fears so the Bank of England is currently projecting things to be um, and Reese Herbert was agreeing with this um, you know, we'll get to about 2% Um, in terms of the base rate now you have to remember that for 300 years the bank of england base rate never went below two percent so the fact we're just (laughs) getting back to two percent is actually not that bad news um and in many ways actually we need to get back to two percent because it means a return to sort of normal economics rather than this weird world we've been living in post um global financial crisis um you know where we've had virtually no growth and these uber low Um, interest rates and uber loose monetary policy so this is a sort of return to some normality which is ought to be welcomed and of course it's going to be a little bit bumpy as we adjust to that how it all turns out is going to be a tough call and certainly but for our sector i think you know this cost of living squeeze squeeze there's no question that people um, who are in the bottom half of the medium income bracket um, probably in the bottom quarter are being pummeled um, at the moment although you know the government has moved quite a lot to help in terms of uh, um, people on benefits and similar similar situations but there is certainly going to be a a squeeze there these are people who have less in terms of savings to fall back on probably no savings to speak of really in most cases um but these people are also not massive consumers of hospitality product at least you know outside of weatherspoon anyway <laughs> um in terms of the more upmarket stuff you know the stuff we generally talk about um on on this podcast which is the hotel and accommodation piece so you know the, the people at the top half of the um medium income bracket i think we're going to be uh uh, generally speaking uh, you know we've had 2 years of not being able to spend money on on hospitality product that's going to be a priority and the money is largely still there for this bracket so Mm. I think there are reasons to believe it's going to be okay in in that consumer side and of course in terms of accommodation the accommodation sector it's businesses that really count here business travel and that so far is confounding on the upside despite all the dire predictions um, not here on Hotel Analyst we've always been more bullish than the majority majority um, about business travel but certainly the general consensus has been it's pretty negative on business travel but so just as an example um, business travel news reported on an opinion survey of 500 UK corporate travellers. 22% of this survey said they were now on the road more often than before Covid struck. Now this is mostly SMEs, the bigger corporates are taking longer but I think they will come back and particularly as they see their competitors getting back on the road, they will get back in there too. And given most of them have fairly bulging balance sheets at the moment, there's no shortage of cash to spend on travel um, and and hotels. So, you know, I, I, I still think that the balance of risks on, on the upside actually um, for this difficult period... Um, until the end of the year, up until Easter uh, next year. But, uh, you know, we could well avoid any recession proper. Um, Sure, there is clearly an economic slowdown coming, but for our sector, which is still coming back, still getting back on its feet, I think overall the tailwinds are going to be stronger than the headwinds.
0: Now, of course, one of the big elephants in everyone's room at the moment is what's going on between Russia and Ukraine um with having all sorts of economic undesirable economic impacts uh, uh across across the globe on on v- a variety of well if not <laughs> most business sectors um and so we've done a little update a little roundup this week on what's going on there and also you know the impact of hospitality's response to it um has as just announced it's actually going to pull out of business in russia completely um uh, sort of taking a bit of a lead here in the uh the hotel space um, by uh, by declaring that you know it's, it's it's government sanctions are going to make it practically impossible to carry on in russia so they are cutting completely out um, they're moving faster than any of the other big international hotel brands uh, and indeed some obviously have already kind of publicly said they they're, they're going to stick in there and have not updated us on that uh, at all but interesting how the kind of landscape is moving with many international businesses uh, pulling out completely from Russia, showing kind of solidarity with with governments and and moving in in line with government sanctions against Russia. Um, so, uh, will will others follow Marriott's lead? Let's see.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think they will um i I, I think um, certainly I understand from talking to insiders at both IHG and Hilton that there are negotiations ongoing with owners in Russia um, and they're seeking to end those contracts so they're tricky they the, the thing is they don't want to be left with legal um, exposure uh, I mean it has to be said a bunch of other Um, similarly placed companies like McDonald's um, like KFC others who have franchise businesses have taken the view that actually this is more there's far more to lose for our brand integrity by remaining in Russia than there is in terms of legal action etc we're just pulling out Um, the hoteliers have been more cautious and much slower at doing this but there does seem to be one way in terms of the travel direction of travel and that's to leave Russia and I don't think anybody's under any illusion that Russia's suddenly going to become you know a viable market for hoteliers anytime soon even if the war ends tomorrow um, Russia's going to still be on sanctions lists Mm. Um, Russia's still not going to be a place where you can go and do business Um, therefore actually you're better off speeding up this this move to exit because I think ultimately if, if you're still there I don't know how long it will take but in a few weeks few months you are likely to get into the firing line for consumer boycotts we've seen a bit of that we saw decathlon get in line for consumer boycotts that caused them to retreat um interesting the parent group has carried on with its uh its supermarket business and its um and its business in uh, DIY stores, um, but you know, I do wonder just how much longer that can carry on as well. And I think for the hoteliers, um, I think they're going to have to to come out. And it's pretty clear, um, certainly when we speculated um, a few months back now about uh, Radisson, and because of the Chinese ownership, we suggested well they were potentially under less pressure to um, come out of Russia they reacted immediately on us publishing that story and said look we are closing down our our um, corporate office in in uh, Russia and we are not expanding in Russia Um, pretty much the same thing all of the uh, um, other uh, western um, hotel brand companies um, said so um, I think you know I think for Radisson as well especially you know with the news that we've just heard this week that uh, the US bit of Radisson is being flogged off by uh, the Chinese owner to choice uh, um, and which effectively puts Radisson elsewhere on the block Um you know, Radisson is not likely to want to tarnish that by um, getting um, caught up in any sort of consumer boycott or whatever in Russia. So I think they're heading out that way. And Accor, um, although like other French companies, seems to be among the more reluctant to pull out. I think that's going to have to come out as well. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's very difficult to justify remaining in Russia given what has gone on um with this invasion given um if you've got any integrity any sort of um you know claim to sort of esg uh, hold some sort of integrity and values around esg you, you need to come out and 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 that is the simple answer to this um and it's about time that they they did that um they've had the months now to negotiate these deals to get out finish finish off that negotiation and get out now
0: we've been taking a bit of a look this week at a couple of well let's let's call them opportunity areas around the globe as uh, hospitality and tourism kind of restarts uh firstly we've been taking a look at what's going on in the whole market across the continent of africa uh triggered by the latest annual report from uh, w hospitality looking at well stats uh, the details of of who's doing what uh, across various various bits of Africa, and we also had a bit of a closer look at one particular country market in Asia, that, that of Vietnam. Now Africa's uh, a, a curious beast, um, you know it's a massive continent, it's potentially a massive market, but uh, in terms of branded hotels it kind of just tickles gently along. Um, there's a lot going on along the northern area. Egypt has got a massive pipeline of hotels. Morocco is also seems to be kind of a new focus for uh, resorts, to f- fed by uh, European visitors. Um, there are bits and pieces of, of activity in other parts of the continent, but it, it, here is really a, a curiously a, a continent that's actually probably crying out for uh, an economy or a budget hotel brand to really get out there and help make travel much easier around about uh, across many countries but strangely all the big brands it seems are looking for four and five star opportunities just simply in the big the big cities um so uh an interesting report there's stuff going on there's plenty plenty happening in Africa uh, but a lack of sort of big de- local developers or people who can take projects forward which leaves the uh, the brands just um uh, picking off what's available to them rather than Uh, moving strategically forward. Uh, Vietnam uh, has bounced back very strongly um, after the uh, the lockdowns of the pandemic Um, and the interesting thing about that market is there's very few local operators there either Um, and we've got uh, well uh, Accor is the probably the biggest uh, uh, the biggest international brand group in Vietnam but uh, recently we've seen Melia take an interesting move forming a joint venture with Vinpearl the uh, the biggest local operator Um, effectively co-branding hotels as Vinpearl realizes they need a bit more of an international linkage to help drive their business forward but um, here we've got a country which uh, where the authorities are very keen on on working uh, in a kind of very strategic way growing their infrastructure to make sure that they get a decent and growing slice of the tourism pie Uh, and all the brands are
1: following their lead yeah 30 years ago um it suddenly became very fashionable to engage in emerging markets there's all the talk of BRIC or brics the brazil russia india china and added on the end south africa um and the, the the poster child for this whole piece was china and it sat at the top of everybody's wish list because it offered the ability to scale it had fast growth and it had a stable government unfortunately in Africa you cannot find any country which offers all three of these certainly there are some countries Nigeria um, arguably Kenya um, arguably South Africa which you know potentially have the ability to scale um, but stable government certainly in Nigeria is not there and probably not in Kenya too um, and there's question marks around growth Um, so you simply don't have that and it's just too fragmented the overall African market so I think it, 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 it was never you know there was no country in Africa really which featured in in this sort of wish list other than the aforementioned South Africa um, as a potential but that that really has fell foul of that corruption issues and so forth Um, really I mean every emerging market has had issues of corruption um, and retains issues of corruption but if you can box them off um, which is possible um, you can do that but you know South Africa's corruption issues went broke out of the box I would argue um, and made it very difficult very problematic place to to do business um, and so unfortunately Africa has failed to live up to the, its potential now there's no question Africa is going to be a, an important place and um, it's going to have four billion people uh, by the end of this century that growth from little more than one billion at the moment um 24 billion 4 billion is alone going to be enough to want to engage with hotel development but I think the other challenges will hold that back and I think it's going to be done much more on a piecemeal basis and I think it's going to be done on a on a Project by project basis, rather than any sort of major rollout like we saw in in China. I think the challenges are simply too great at the moment. Now this could change. There's um, potentially if we get some stability in some of these major markets, Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa, um, we, we 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 might see a change. But there are no there's no real sign of that at the moment. So I think it's going to be a very lumpy, bumpy uh, period for uh, African countries. Um, On the flip side of this, we have uh, Vietnam. Now, Vietnam offers a lot of what China did. um, And crucially, I think it's got a government, which certainly at the moment is more business friendly than um, the current regime in China, uh, which is turning, um, particularly from a Western perspective, um, um, much harder to deal with. Um, And there's all sorts of, you know, the ongoing lockdown issues they've got in China but more broader than that the sort of uh, push back against uh, business which we're seeing in China at the moment is causing a great deal of hesitation about future investment um, in Vietnam we don't have that we have a big country which is approaching the 100 million population um, it's certainly economically growing very fast and it has a stable government so it it ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of where you'd want to sort of do things I think it still has you know there is a discount now for anything which is outside of the west there's no question that you know the 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 return expectations will have ticked up um, uh, several percentage points um, since um, the last few years since covid has destabilized the whole perspective around um, emerging markets and It's not so much globalization going into reverse, but I think there's more realism now around globalization. And certainly the pace of globalization has very much slowed. Um, If you need numbers on that, you know, you'd look at somewhere like The Economist uh, magazine, they talk about between 2016 and 2019, global flows of long-term investment into emerging markets halved. Um, so we're seeing, you know, a pullback from the cash going in um, to globalisation. So it, it, it is, a, you know, a, a much slower trend now. Um, and in many ways, um, I think the invasion of Ukraine by Russia really crystallised this this issue. Um, Vietnam is probably one of the 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 preferred destinations if you're going to be looking at putting investment overseas however Um, and it does look uh, a promising place I mean one of the key things from Vietnam's perspective ironically is to uh, rely less on China Um, so China People's Republic has been a one of the big uh, the biggest source market for Vietnam for some time Um, but you know when vietnam fell out with china um they had a, a a row a border row um china turned the taps off um tourism taps off and that's a significant risk um so they're looking to to have a much broader base of of tourism um uh, interestingly, Taiwan's in the top five of uh, source markets for uh, for Vietnam, which uh, which is an interesting position. Um, but I suspect they'll they'll probably push um, to get a lot more of higher spending European and North American um, tourists as well. Um, and whilst their numbers are never going to uh, be as big as uh, the places uh, closer to home. Um, Uh, closer to the country, um, their value is going to be quite significant. Um, Just as a slide aside um, in terms of the COVID piece, um, Vietnam had a very strict um, COVID lockdown regime. Um, It pretty much closed off like China. Um, Despite closing off, it had 11 million cases of COVID and officially more than 43,000 deaths, probably quite a few more. So it certainly didn't avoid that. As we know, you know lockdowns don't work um but what it did see uh absolute plummeting in terms of visitor numbers if you can imagine a tourism industry which in 2019 um had 18 million visitors according to the the world tourism organization that went down to just 200,000 in 2021 a massive drop devastating drop but since the middle of may since the 15th of may all restrictions um on travel to Vietnam have been re, uh, removed or COVID restrictions. Um, uh, there are no testing, no isolation requirements. Um, um, it, it's likely as you say Chris that we're going to see a very rapid bounce back.
0: Right and now we're on to our five star and no star awards for this week and uh, it's five stars to Choice Hotels uh, for spending a chunky 675 million uh, buying Radisson
1: Americas. We all have a big deal, what's not to like? And it's one um, we have been saying for several months now that the likely prospect is of the Chinese pulling back their uh, hospitality investments outside of china and this is a case case in point and it's very much i would suggest put the rest of radisson in play now um a deal is highly likely for the rest of radisson i would suggest um we're going to be writing about that uh, mm. next week in, in okay more and
0: those stars are for the pessimists who keep trying to talk us into a recession uh all we're hearing from the hotel operators is how strongly the market's coming back so come on Let's be a bit more positive. Glass half full, please. Not half empty. And on that positive note, we'll say goodbye for now.